very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council, also known as the Sanhedrin, uh, met to discuss the next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was, governor, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release the prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he had realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at that point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. To the, to, so to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed, spit on him, and dropped to the knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving these words. Thank you that they are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But Lord, without your Holy Spirit, without the power of your revelation knowledge, without you illuminating these truths to us, we are helpless. And so, Lord, we align our hearts right now in this moment over these next few minutes to say, have your way in us. Speak to us. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable. May my tongue be like the pen of a ready writer. May I speak as the oracles of God with the ability that God gives. Illuminate yourself. Glorify yourself among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Despite the fact that the Sanhedrin had sentenced Jesus to death, they did not have the legal authority to actually execute Jesus. In order to maintain control, the Romans had reserved the right to mete out capital punishment. For this reason, as soon as the Sanhedrin had produced a formal sentence, they brought Jesus bound to Pilate. Normally, Pilate would have been in his home in Caesarea. But during the major festivals such as Passover, Pilate came to Jerusalem in order to keep the peace during what was an incredibly politically turbulent time. 
as Eric just read, as soon as it was morning, think about this. Jesus, just the night before, as, sun had, as the sun had gone down, think about all that transpired. Jesus shared a meal, a joyful meal with his friends. He sang with his friends. He showed them how to lead by taking off his robe and getting sopping wet, washing their feet. He still smelled like royalty from being anointed king. But then through the night, what happened? Well, Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Sweating drops of blood. So imagine sweat stains, blood stains already on his robe, still probably damp from the foot washing. Now his face is beginning to be battered and bruised from the thugs at the Sanhedrin. But they don't have what they need to do what they want to do. From the time Jesus was born, political and religious leaders have wanted to kill him. Remember Herod the Great, the infanticide, trying to kill baby Jesus? Herod the Great and Caiaphas both had the same goal. Strictly kill Jesus. As soon as it was morning, having held the meeting with the elder scribes in the Sanhedrin, the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, tied Jesus up like a criminal, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Still with that faint smell of royalty, but having been treated like a criminal, Pilate looks at this man and asks this poignant question. The Lord of all, the one who is there at creation with the Father, has, he has a body, 1 Corinthians 11 says, for you. This is my body, which is for you. He puts on human flesh for the benefit of humankind, and he humbles himself and becomes a servant. And now he's standing before this petty Judean governor, this prefect. He's humbled himself to this, this petty local politician, and he says, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus makes it clear that he has no intentions of leading an armed revolt against Roman rule. But his answer prompts Pilate to repeat his initial question. So you are a king. And Jesus said, you have said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. Just like in the Sanhedrin trial, the illegal Sanhedrin trial, they're trying to throw anything they can at Jesus. You know, in a trial, you're trying to see if someone is guilty of one specific thing. But not in these trials of Jesus. They're trying to find something for which they can call him guilty. And they cannot. The other gospels tell us that Pilate says, I see no guilt in this man. 
But the chief priests keep trying. Accusing him of many things, Pilate questioned him again, aren't you even going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. He marveled. In the book of Mark, that word marvel does not always lead to belief, but it can. The word amazed or the word marveled invites us to stand in the place of the one who is marveling and say, how would you respond to this Jesus? The Jewish leaders know that Pilate cares little for the theological charges of blasphemy that mean so much to them. So they emphasize the political charges. They claim that Jesus had misled the nation and had forbidden paying tribute to the emperor and had proclaimed himself to be, dun-dun-dun, the messianic king. A police officer friend once told me, I want you to think about Pilate standing in front of Jesus and what he's experiencing. This man Jesus This non-anxious presence who is not responding to the vitriol. He's acting in a way Pilate has never seen a human act. You see, Pilate has seen so many people come before him. A police officer friend once told me that there's something they don't tell you in police academy, and that is that um, you end up having to arrest the same few people over and over and over again. They get caught in this cycle, this, this, the, the only way of life they know is crime, and there's something about that way of life that they can't stop believing in, so they keep repeating the cycle, and Pilate sees those kinds of people all the time in front of him. The insurrectionists, the other criminals that Pilate has sentenced to death or flogging are the kind of people that you would expect to have been arrested and brought before Pilate. My paternal grandfather so happened to be a criminal. I recently came across a wanted poster of Granddaddy Jim. I brought a picture. We'll have to show it some other time. And when you see him in the mix, you see, oh, yeah, that guy looks like a criminal. I don't know how you know that, but you know he looks like the kind of guy who would steal from you. My grandfather was in and out of county jails and Georgia State Penitentiary. He broke out of county jail, and he spent a lot of time, almost 30 years, in prison, but it began to wear on him. He couldn't stop believing the lies that led him to that kind of life. But something about Jesus was different. Consider this Jesus standing before Pilate. He's a former soldier, Pilate, now a governor. He makes his money sizing people up in a moment, in a blink. And we know from the other Gospels that Pilate sees there's something wrong, not with Jesus, but with Jesus' accusers. This Jesus is not like the other criminals. He's not like the other revolutionaries, the insurrectionists. Verse 6 says, at the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during a rebellion. Now we've got a true criminal, a real-life criminal, Barabbas. Barabbas. 
an insurrectionist. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them what was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. Let's pause for a moment and take in what is actually happening. You see, just a few days before this moment, the day that we're celebrating right now, on Palm Sunday, the people, the masses, were stirred up into a frenzy to lay down their palm branches, to lay down their coats, to cry out, Hosanna to the king. They wanted this Jesus to be their king. And now that Jesus, this Jesus, is arrested. It's Passover, and there are rumors that the next Messiahs are running rampant throughout the city. People have no doubt heard about the hick rabbi from Galilee and his motley crew of disciples. There are no doubt rumors of the way he's confounded the chief priests and Pharisees. Maybe they even heard about his right-hand guy, who actually tried to start the revolution, who finally pulled out his scabbard and went after the chief priest servant's head and cut off his ear. But then maybe they saw the chief priest's servant and said, well, there's there's no way that's true. He's totally fine. But you also heard about other would-be messiahs. Maybe you heard about this street-smart rebel who has actually made some moves. He actually has blood on his hands. Maybe you kind of like that. Pilate hears the crowd outside and walks to see a kind of protest. And I want you to imagine, go with me here. We don't know what it would actually look like. But if this were in 2022, Pilate would have walked out and seen someone holding a sign, hashtag, free Jesus free Jesus, free Jesus. Do you know Barabbas is actually his last name? Barabbas means son of the father. Barabbas represents the sins of the fathers. Not son of Abba father, the son of the sons of Abraham. But Barabbas was his last name. Do you know what his first name was? The very common Hebrew name. We pronounce it in English this way, Jesus. Pilate walks out. And he says, who do you want? Jesus or Jesus? Which Jesus do you want me to free? Do you want Jesus, son of the Father, or Jesus, son of the Father? Do you want Jesus, the insurrectionist, the one who sees sometimes you have to take life into your own hands for the people that you love? Or do you want silent, nonviolent Jesus? Do you want the Jesus who knows what to do when he gets in front of his enemies? 
Or do you want the Jesus who stands in front of his enemies and seems to be confused about it? He seems to want to love his enemies. Which Jesus do you want me to free? Free Jesus, they say. Which Messiah? Which king do you really want? Will you free Jesus and receive him as your king? Or will you be swayed by the loudest voices and choose the lesser alternative? Do you choose the meek and mild Jesus? Or do you choose the street smart Jesus who does what he has to do? This Jesus, Jesus Barabbas, would pat you on the head and say, there, there. Sometimes you got to advocate for yourself. Sometimes you've got to speak up. Sometimes you have to use certain words and certain means. We fight for the people we love. This Jesus, Jesus Barabbas, seems to know how power actually works. Which Jesus should we free? But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they would release Jesus Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? And what must be the two most demonic, satanically inspired words any crowd has ever shouted? They say, crucify him. Pilate says, why? What has he done wrong? I see no guilt in this man. But they shouted all the more. Crucify him! Literally, crucify, crucify is what's called a double aorist imperative verb indicating it is the most emphatic verb that they could have used. You see, the leaders would not be persuaded by the sight of the mangled form of Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that Pilate was yielding to their murderous plans. The Sanhedrinists surged back at Pilate louder and louder with terrible shouts, crucify, crucify. That such a cry should even have been raised and raised by Jews before a Roman and against Jesus are themselves almost inconceivable facts to which history these now, many centuries later, has made a terrible echo. Which Jesus do you free? You see, that question is a question Pilate himself had to answer. Should I choose political expediency 
Should I choose to try to hold together my house of cards? Or should I surrender to truth? Verse 15 says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. There are three different types of Roman flogging, scourging. There was, number one, the less severe beating for relatively light offenses such as disorderly behavior. Before Before Pilate presents Jesus to the crowd, he's had him flogged probably from that lightest kind of scourging. Number two is a more brutal flogging administered to criminals whose offenses were slightly more serious, but the worst, most terrible scourging of all reserved for the worst criminals is always associated with punishments such as crucifixion. So Jesus had not just the lightest, but also the worst. He had two scourgings. Pilate's tenuous position is well illustrated by Jewish philosopher Philo. Pilate feared that if the Jews actually sent an embassy to Rome, they would also expose the rest of his conduct as a governor by stating in full the briberies, the insults, the robberies, the outrages, the wanton injustices, the executions without trial, constantly repeated the ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty. Pilate is not innocent. So with all, the vindic- vin- all his vindictiveness and furious temper, Pilate, temper, Pilate was in a difficult position. When the Jewish leaders learned, warned Pilate in one of the other Gospels, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. He would have felt both anger and fear. Despite what Pilate has personally experienced, the man. And despite the fact that his wife has this chillingly prophetic dream, the gospel of Mark shows us the inner turmoil that we all experience when we face Jesus. Do we choose truth or do we choose to hold up our house of cards by covering over and giving in to the maddening voices of culture. Pilate frees the wrong Jesus. Irony of ironies, Jesus of Nazareth, who had publicly declared that his sole purpose was to proclaim liberty to the captives, is continually held captive and not liberated. Instead, he's handed over to evil, bloodthirsty, violent men. The soldiers led him away to the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted a crown of thorns, and put it on him. Probably the crown of thorns was twisted together from long spikes of the date palm, fashioned into a mock imitation of the radiant crowns. The intention of the soldiers was mockery, but the long thorns up to 12 inches added to the blood and the pain. The crown Jesus wears not only indicates his royalty, 
You see, what the soldiers didn't know, what confounds all of history is that Jesus really is king. And this was his actual enthronement. This was his actual coronation. Those crown of thorns of his enemies become his actual crown. The soldiers led him away into the palace and they mocked him. They want to humiliate Jesus. They strike him in the face as a way of shaming him. And they begin to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying mocking homage to him. After they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes back on him. Dr. Timothy Gombas says, while it appears from one perspective that Jesus is in the hands of others, that he is being subdued by them, this is ultimately the process by which Jesus is putting his enemies under his feet. This is a radically counterintuitive way for a king to encounter his glory. Yet, this is the way that the God of Israel carries out his work. A suffering and crucified Messiah is the most explicit expression of the wisdom of God. It is lunacy to our worldly way of doing things and makes no sense to those who pursue worldly forms of power. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom, which God decreed before the ages of glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In the end, this question that is before Pilate, free Jesus. Which Jesus do you free? is before you and I every single day. Which Jesus do you want? Do you really want the suffering servant? Do you really want the Lord of all? Each of us have faced moments where we have chosen the Barabbas, the Jesus Barabbas. But can I tell you something? The New Testament talks about three verb tenses for salvation. Many of you in this room, I would dare say most of you in this room, have declared that Jesus is your Lord. You've asked Jesus to come into your heart. You've prayed a prayer. You've come down front. You've done, you've done the thing. You've had a conversion experience. Some of you may be in what we would call a pre-awakening stage. You're here. You're interested. You're spiritual. You're not sure. But the verb tenses in the New Testament are this. You are saved. You are being saved, and you will be saved. In the last century, there, was, there were beautiful gifts at work in the body of Christ, compelling people to that first salvation, to be converted, to come to know Jesus. And then in the last century, we had some who emphasized that second salvation, being saved. You are saved. When you are saved, what happens? 
That means your heart is regenerated. You, your spirit is brand new. It comes to new life. You're not the same you you were before, but you still live in a body and you still have a mind. Author Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. We've got some stuff we got to work out. That being saved peace is where this question, which Jesus will you free, really works its way out. We believe, according to 2 Corinthians, that you have a destiny to be shaped into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. More like Jesus at the end of your life than right now. More like Jesus five years from now than five years ago. Someday you will be saved. Ultimately, you, your body will be resurrected. You will be with Jesus. But what about between now and then? We, do we just huddle up and hold out for hope? How can you liberate this Jesus, this nonviolent, non-anxious Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, my friend Blake Zimmerman preached a brilliant message where he said, you have a kingdom. What's life like in your kingdom? Do you invite Jesus' kingdom to come on earth in your body? How do you do that? You do that by freeing this Jesus. I'm going to make it very practical as I invite the worship team to come. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. Verse 35 says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, Galatians 5 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to Barabbas, the yoke of slavery. Of slavery. I want to propose to you one very practical hashtag free Jesus, free Jesus, liberate Jesus, liberate the Jesus that's already in you to quicken your mortal body even now to bring life to your thinking, to bring life to the way that you behave. One paradigm, anger or joy. Why did Jesus do that? How did he do that? How did he take the insults and the mockery? How did he take uh, the beatings how did he, he was, there's no person who's ever been more falsely accused than Jesus. How did that sense of justice not rise up in him? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, you can practice being like Jesus by practicing joy. Very, very practical thing. Here's what I want to commend to you today. It may take a lifetime to do. But in those moments when you feel falsely accused, in those moments where you get passed over, 
in those moments where life doesn't go your way and you feel that sense of justice and you want to take good and bad into your own hands, how can you get to the point where you liberate Jesus to do Jesus-y things? This is not the end-all, be-all, but here's one practical thing. Do you know you can rewire your brain through the practice of gratitude? Don't try it when you're anxious. Don't try it when you're frustrated. Don't try it when, you're, when your head is spinning. When you feel that thing in your mind or your, your heart or your gut where you just, you, you can't stop thinking about the thing. But from a position of strength, the way Jesus found joy as he practiced joy. I'm told if you want to be good at golf, you have to swing the golf club 10,000 times before you really have a decent swing. How many times does it have, does it take for you to react with enemy love, spontaneous enemy love, and free Jesus to do Jesus-y things in and through you? What if you just started with five minutes a day. Five minutes a day, you're gonna take just a moment and remind yourself of the goodness of God. Could be the first thing when you wake up or the last thing before you go to bed. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Over the next couple of moments, I want to invite you to start that practice. We're going to worship God together. We have carpet and communion available for you. Come grab communion during these last couple of worship songs. But just take a moment and worship Jesus. I don't know what your week was like this week, but I invite you to find gratitude. Find joy again and let Jesus be Jesus in you. Let's worship.